0: This is exclusive coverage of CPAC for Central Virginia. Brought to you by the Virginia Institute for Public Policy and our Tuesday Morning Group Coalition. Find out how you can join at VirginiaInstitute.org. It's Joe Thomas in the morning on Seville 107.5 and 1260 WCHV. Hey, Joe Thomas, Saturday special here at CPAC because there is so much going on and so many Virginians here, uh, and (laughs) Cameron Hamilton is one of them. He's running for Virginia's 7th Congressional District in the GOP nomination there. Uh, Cameron, it's good to meet you, sir. Uh, And uh, tell us a little bit about what it is. I know that 7th District and this program go way back. Uh, we were one of the first folks to acknowledge Dave Bratt's candidacy. As a matter of fact, he was just on the show the other day. He was down here with Liberty University. Um, and, and it shocked the world. And I remember everyone saying, what, what kind of district is this? And then to see how uh, it's gone the last few years without having her on the ballot, certainly the specter of Abigail Spanberger will be out there. What What is your tactic? What is your plan? What What is your role in this race? What do you want to bring to the table?
1: Excellent. Well, first off, thank you for having me. So I live with my family in Orange, Virginia, which is on the southwest aspect of the district. Uh, You know, the Virginia 7th is kind of a strange conglomeration. It's a lot like what you find within most of middle America. It's got suburban with rural communities, but it's also just outside of the D.C. bubble to be impacted by a lot of D.C. and federal politics. A lot of federal government employees live there. I'm running as a husband, father, and Christian running on small-town values. The way I look at it, we need more cowboys in Congress. Um, so I'm a constitutional conservative believing firmly in the tenets of limited government.
0: It was interesting. Last congressional race, there were all these signs that said farmers for um, the uh, outgoing congresswoman. And and I pointed out one thing to my wife. You know, the one thing on those farms you didn't notice were tractors. Uh, so I'm not sure what farming meant, but uh, talk about that aspect of the 7th, because people talk about it as it kind of extends towards Fredericksburg and getting more suburban, but the, the, the rural families are really a big part of it.
1: Yeah, they absolutely are. There's a lot of farming communities here. Um, you know, Virginia 7th, you got Madison County, Greene County, parts of Orange, also down in the east in Caroline and King George, huge, huge farming communities. Um, so it's absolutely paramount that we represent the farming needs. Um, I think, well, unfortunately, what we've seen is that a lot of farms equals subsidies. Um, and so I, we need good food production. We need food security. Farmers have been hit significantly with a lot of burden, and the costs of farming are all hit right up front. I think progressives have done a very good job of trying to portray themselves as champions of farmers. The problem is all the other tax and regulatory requirements that they instill on farms are to their detriment. So while a subsidy is great, there's other policies that are equally as destructive, if not greater, in destruction. So I'm running firmly believing that farming communities are best impacted by what? Reducing regulation, reducing the tax burden on the individual, ensuring that we have good quality affordable goods, that we can transport them across state lines efficiently, reducing our trade tariffs so we can buy cheap commercial goods so that isn't passed on to the consumer. That's really an advocacy that I feel firmly in.
0: And I'm going to nuance that a little bit. One of the things that nobody noticed when President Biden, too much cheering and whoop do doo said, I'm cutting in, I'm shutting down the pipelines, no more, no more natural gas. And then somebody said, hey, did you notice the price of fertilizer went through the roof? And nobody had, unforeseen maybe consequences, but it's hit uh, families, um, said this the other day. I know a lot of folks in your industry, in politics, will talk about how the average family's grocery bill has gone up by 40% in some cases. I don't think that's the case. I think their grocery take-home has gone down by 40% because most of their incomes haven't gone up. So if groceries are 40% more expensive, I'm just buying 40% less stuff. Um, Talk about that kind of thing, the fertilizer, the costs of running a farm and getting that food to table.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. When you look at industrial England, when they kind of modernized a lot of their practices and they brought down the cost of of energy, uh, there were so many benefits across the society. Schools were built. Buildings were built. I mean, you had trade that was expanding at an alarming rate. Right now, what we seem to forget is that one of the first communities impacted by tariffs and restrictions on the cost of energy, such as natural gas, coal, things like that, is farming in rural communities. It impacts them always first. And then there are downstream effects that ultimately pass that on to the consumer at the grocery store and a variety of other capacities. So I completely agree with you. When we start restricting trade, when we start also restricting the cost of, uh, of coal and natural gases. Look, I, I most people think of the idea as green energy. As it's a wonderful, wonderful principle to think about. Unfortunately, the only reason a lot of it's affordable is because it's so heavily subsidized sure. by the taxpayer, which ultimately is what? It's still passed on to the individual. And I have a hard time justifying taking taxes out of people's pockets to a struggling mom who's working two jobs to pay her bills um, I have a hard time justifying taking funds from her family and then funding these pet projects for solar fields and other avenues.
0: Talk about the finances of it. Congress supposedly having the power of the purse. We were just talking to Kat Kamek, uh about using that on the regulatory state. But also, I mean, a lot of that cost has been because our dollar has become so increasingly devalued, especially since the pandemic lockdowns. Um, And the printing of aid money for people that's, I don't know, our grandkids' taxes at some point, hopefully if they're still around for it. Talk about getting that financial house in order, Cameron.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. First and foremost, what most Americans need to recognize is that before Congress ever passes a budget, 74 cents of every dollar is already allocated. So the discretionary spending that we see with Congress, we're talking about a portion. Only 25% of the actual budget is subject to the bills or the spending that we traditionally see about cutting, Uh, most of it's already going towards entitlement programs, which is a huge problem. I'm much more of a Milton Friedman type, believing that we need to give people cash out incentives and put it in actual retirement and investment accounts so they can keep that wealth. Uh, In addition to that, when it comes to the cost of living, when it comes to other costs right now, we're operating at a $200 billion deficit every single month. That is unsustainable. It's not a cash flow issue. It's a spending problem because the cost of the infrastructure of our federal government is too large. Again, we pass this on by what? The Treasury selling bonds, borrowing against the bonds, printing more dollars, which then ultimately leads to what? Inflation, which is a reduction of the spending value of the dollar, which is like another hidden tax. A dollar today doesn't buy what a dollar did two years ago. Um, so I completely agree with you. These are because of irresponsible practices by many many in Congress. And it sucks to, re- to explain the reality that There are many Republicans that have gone right along with this, and it's absolutely abhorrent, and it's time we change it.
0: Cameron, it's uh, CameronHamilton.com is your website. Are you gonna be going around the seventh district holding events, or is it just door knocking and getting signatures right now?
1: I absolutely am. So we got an event on March 1st at 6 p.m. at Gore Meltz in in Spotsylvania County. Uh, please come on out. Gore Meltz Restaurant in Spotsylvania on March 1st, starting at 6 p.m. We're gonna have Congressman Corey Mills there. We're gonna have House Freedom or House Chairman uh, for the Homeland Security Committee, Mark Green. We're gonna have Delegate Nick Freitas there. We're gonna have Dr. Robert Malone there. We're talking about freedom of the individual. No wonder
0: you're here at CPAC. That's like half the lineup. <laughs>
1: exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So some amazing patriots are supporting me in my campaign. I've also been endorsed by Senator Rand Paul, an absolute honor. So we'd we'd hope that folks can come out and check us out. We're going to have additional events down the road too. Um, But that's one event that we got going on. But otherwise, you can definitely see us. We'll be knocking doors. We'll be meeting people and making sure that we build a grassroots coalition.
0: Well, if Matt Strickland is back behind you, you know you got something going on there. That man has seen the inside of a regulatory cannon, uh, and I, you know, I, my heart breaks for him. I know there's a, a Senate candidate that helped very much in his battles with the Northam administration, and then sadly the Youngkin administration, because once the bureaucracy gets rolling, it's hard to unroll it.
1: Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Matt Strickland's a patriot. Um, it was really unfortunate that he had to go through what he went through. Um, what I will say undeniably, if more businesses had stood up um, the way Matt did with his Amen. business, we never would have seen these regulations imposed on the state. So, look, it's an absolute honor to be supported by patriots, but we still need that broad coalition of amazing Americans that want to take this country back.
0: It was interesting. We were talking to the filmmaker of Cabrini. I don't know if you got a chance to see Cabrini and the screening here. Same folks who made uh, this, the Sound of Freedom. Um, and amazing Eduardo was telling me, he said, you know, it's, it's telling the hero stories that aren't with capes and cowls that the hero, the regular heroes that stand up that say, not on this block, not in this store. Um, those are the heroes that we need to start telling the stories of.
1: Amen. You're, you're absolutely right. We need to inspire people and give people hope. And that's one of the great blessings of conservatism. When you break it down and you advocate for a limited government, There are so many profound impacts that bless not only you, but future generations. So I think you're spot on. we got to inspire people.
0: Thank you so much, sir. CameronHamilton.com.
1: Yes, sir. CameronHamilton.com. It would be an honor. God bless.